You're listening to Pastor Mike Reiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Don't Be Good, Do Good, based on 1 Timothy 4.11, recorded on Sunday, March 25th, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. If you're a first-time guest, I want to welcome you. Whether it's here, or in Indiana, Pennsylvania, or in the Petroleum Valley, or even in beautiful Freeport, Pennsylvania. Um, if, uh, if you are for, here for the first time, you'll say, who's that guy? My name is Mike, and I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be anywhere. Um, last week, I tested out my body's immune system, and it works. <laughs> I loaded myself up with the influenza virus. Just to see how that thing goes. Um, and, and my body was able to handle it. My kids have been telling me I'm old for years. But I read in the news that, that uh, if you get the influenza virus and you're very old, you could die. So I didn't die. So therefore, I'm not very old. That's how that works. <laughs> That's how I do logic. You know, Socrates would be proud. Um, <laughs> So you need to be in church the next few weeks. Uh, this coming week is Easter. Um, uh, check your, your bulletins for all the, the times. But Easter is a time that Christians, this is our, if we had a high holiday, this is it. Because it is the celebration of that which brings us salvation. The cross and the resurrection of Christ. It also happens to be the time that people go to church who don't go to church. And that's okay with me. I never look down on people who only show up on Easter because they're there. And I, and, and I want them to hear the same message. That, and so fill up the place on Easter, on Sunday, and at Catanning, even on Friday night. Fill it up. But after that, it, the hits keep on coming. The following weekend is the women's retreat. I'm extremely excited about the women's retreat. I am now officially every year now more excited about the women's retreat than the men's retreat. Um, and I am a man, and I know I'm a man, and, but, but nevertheless, first, the men's retreats sometimes don't happen, but the women's retreats are happening. And last year, I got to go to the women's retreat as an honorary woman, <laughs> I guess. No, I was a man, but I got to teach, and, and it was great fun. So this year, I thought, um, you got to do... There's got to be a way to do better than that. And so we've improved. That wasn't hard to do. And we have Annette and George Murray are going to be there now. Um, I can't tell you how excited I am about this couple coming to our church. So Annette will be at the women's retreat to teach on Friday and Saturday and a little bit on Sunday. And George will be there on Saturday. George is a very well-loved guest speaker here. He's like, every, he's like our grandpa. He's like all of our grandpa in Jesus. And when he comes, people generally think, why won't he be our pastor instead of Mike? And so we only let him come once every couple of years. And he always does a terrific job. I mean, I've had people say to me, man, coming to Harvest changed my life because a few years ago you had that old guy up there. And I'm like, you're going back to a few years ago to the old guy sermon? What about me? But I don't mind at all. We love George. And since his wife is teaching at the retreat, he is going to be here on Friday night. Now, some of you women say, well, I'll miss that. But you'll get Annette. And trust me, Annette is awesome. Um, 
but George will be here on Friday night in Catanning, and he'll be here on Sunday night in Catanning, and therefore he'll be at all four campuses on video. And you do not want to miss when George Murray speaks. And that means on Sunday, I get to speak at the women's retreat. I get to bring the message. So it's my second year in a row going to the women's retreat, and I'm excited. The ladies are always good to me. And um, so uh, I will be bringing the next sermon on 1 Timothy to the ladies. Um, And it just so happens to be one that's all about ladies. So um, ladies, meet me there. If you have not signed up for the women's retreat yet, ladies, first, I know you women don't do anything by yourselves. A man might take a chance and go to a men's retreat by himself and meet some dudes, right? You ladies won't do anything without a friend. I get that. So get a friend and go with you, right? Just like you go to the bathroom, right? When you go to the bathroom, you're like, come on, we're going to the bathroom. No one ever says, I, I don't have to go. That's what guys would say. I don't have to go. Ladies, they get it. They're like, yeah, we're doing this together. Yay. Well, <laughs> do this. I'm serious. Women are chatting in there. We have a lot of extra space in the women's room because they, they sit in there and chat. Guys go in and act like they're not there. They act like they're invisible. Don't talk you don't talk they won't know we're in here and you're just in out done um so this has nothing to do with the women's retreat but here's what does if you haven't signed up sign up if you say well i don't want to go i don't have a friend to go get a friend and say let's go invade this women's retreat invite a woman if you have a phone and it has a harvest app i looked it up just now, I use the Harvest app all the time. Whenever I need someone's phone number, I hit it. I tithe via my Harvest app. And I thought, I wonder if I can get to the women's retreat, the Harvest app. It was not as easy as I wanted it to be. Nevertheless, I hit events and nothing happened. But, but it happened when I did it in real life. This is fake life, apparently. Oh. And then it says, it says, sign me up. I hit sign me up. And there was a women's retreat and boom. Now, I don't have to pay because I'm a guest speaker. <laughs> But ladies, seriously, we have one a year, uh, in all seriousness, um, women from all four uh, campuses are, are part of organizing and planning and making it go. A lot's gone in to make this not just a special time, but one that is, impacts you spiritually for the rest of your year and maybe the rest of your life. So make sure you sign up and go. Then the following four weeks, don't miss a Sunday because we're starting uh, a new kind of series Yes, we're interrupting 1 Timothy again, called the next series. But this one's very personal because it talks about where are we going next as a church. And I wouldn't want you to miss that. All that was just scheduling stuff. If you're a first-time guest, normally I don't forecast the schedule, and that may be a good thing or a bad thing. If you're a scheduling-type person, you're like, oh, I liked it, finally an organized pastor. But no, that's not who I really am. Last week... (laughs) Fred preached, and he did a terrific job. He got short notice because I decided to do my experiment with the flu very early. The last time I saw Pastor Kevin, who's a campus pastor at the Catani campus, he said, just get away from me so you don't make me sick. It was kind of awesome to know the next day he got the flu too. (laughs) If he had hugged me, I think he would have been immune. Jesus would have said, okay. But but Fred preached, and he did a terrific job on 4.11 to 16 What I want to do this week, though, is I want to go back to one of those verses, one sentence, actually one, two, three, four, five words, and dig deep. Since he did the hard work of doing all the verses, there's one subject I do think it would be helpful to us to drill down on, and that's that's found in verse 11. 
So our text for the day is 1 Timothy 4, 11. Just one verse, five words in English. Um, 1 Timothy 4, 11. So if you have your Bible open, um, 1 Timothy 4, 11 says this, command and teach these things. Paul is telling Timothy, command and teach these things. Now, these things we're not going to review. That's the entire content of what Paul taught him. And Paul said, I left nothing out. You know, I taught you the whole counsel of God. I taught you the whole good news or gospel is what good news means. Command and teach. And note that he used two words. In another place in this text, he used exhort and instruct. Command and teach are two different things. There's two halves. There's two parts, hopefully, to every message that goes into the Christian mind. Command these things means the preacher stands up, reads the word of God, and commands you to do what's in it. Very strong language. It's it's action, right? Do this. Now, churches are completely free. There's no law. There's no forcing. There's no coercing. So how is Timothy supposed to command people to do this? Well, he needs to persuade them from the word of God. And the Holy Spirit, in the open-minded Christian who hears, causes that person to realize there's an expectation on me to do something. And commanding needs to be part. How do you command people if you can't make them? I can command children when they're little, my children. I can still command a lot of other people's children. I even commanded a voice with my dad's voice a grown man the other day. Because <laughs> he shocked, he couldn't believe I, he was hearing me say this. I said, no, 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 put that down. And this guy, he's a grown man. He turns and he puts down what he's holding. I'm like, wow, the dad voice works all over the place. Now, he could have challenged me and I would have done nothing. Whereas my kids, they challenge you, you can force them to do things. They're like little slaves that come out of your body. Not so in a church. I can command anything I want. You guys can do anything you want and there's nothing I can do. So how can a preacher command? Well, the, the answer is he has to persuade. He has to work to make sense. He has to make an argument when he presents what the scripture says and persuade you to make a decision. And that's what preaching is. Right? There's preaching and there's teaching. There's two different words for those things in the scripture because they're two different events. They're not the same thing said twice. Preaching always has as its aim to get you to make a decision to change something. It's preaching, if it's true preaching, I think the reason most preaching is boring throughout the world, not all, but there's a lot of boring preaching out there, is because guys aren't preaching, they're teaching. They're not saying, I'm urging you to change. We all get interested in that even if we don't like the change. But then he's also to teach these things. Teaching has another element. Teaching is the transference of facts, of propositional truth, of data. Remember this is really the object of teaching. Um, If you, to learn is to remember something. So you have to understand it, then you have to remember it, 
And the teacher, no matter who teaches, that's their goal. It's a success if the, if the person listening can understand what was said and remember it. That's it. And the Bible over and over instructs Paul and, uh, or Peter and uh, Timothy and others um, to instruct diligently, to be patient, to say the same things over and over again, and to be a teacher. Command and teach. Now, the whole rest of that text had to do with Timothy himself setting that example. If you're going to command and teach, you better obey the word and show that you're learning it yourself. Right? So there's two halves of the Christian life. Here's a problem. A church can have a culture that leans to one or the other. To seeing their experience together with the word of God as obeying commands or to see it as learning. I think if you go to a church that does not take the Bible seriously enough. They're going to lean away from teaching, believe it or not. You're going to feel the pressure. There, there are people who can testify they've gone to church their whole life, never learned a doggone thing, but they knew what to do religiously. So when it comes to preaching and teaching, some churches lean away from teaching uh, and, they, and they think, we're here to act. So you learn the religious rules. You can, you can come and you know when to kneel. You know when to sit. You know when to get your wafer. You know when to walk out. And really the religion itself, the action of the religion is all they do. Or they can be into social justice and whatnot. And they want to do the crop walk or feed the poor. But they don't concentrate on what the scripture says. You can even have little short messages. And you even wonder, did they read the Bible at all? It was a poetry book or something else. Many people have gone to church and go to church. And they hear history taught. Or something else. That, that it's akin to a positive message. But no scripture. That's bad. Now I don't think we have that problem. Most evangelical churches, I think, tend to lean the other way. We sit on teaching and we have a blind spot to the command part. We say, I go to church to learn, to listen. And some say, well, I don't need to go to church to learn. All these preachers are on the radio and the television and my computer. So I don't even need to be a part of what they're doing. I can learn it myself. I can do Bible studies myself. I can learn the data. And even whole churches that get so into their theology. Theology matters, by the way. Theology leads everything. But that's all they're into. Getting the teaching right. You know, they will argue when they're drunk as a skunk about the five points of Calvinism because they got the teaching right. But you'll never see their hands get dirty doing good deeds. And I think that's very normal for evangelical Christians of all stripes. You equate what you're supposed to do with the Bible is learn the content. When you feel guilty, it's because you don't have enough content. I think we absolutely have a blind spot towards, I mean, you never come in thinking, I can't wait to hear the pastor this week. He's going to give us some commands and we're going to do them. No one ever says that. What commands did you get in church today? (laughs) What change are you going to make in your life because you heard a sermon today, right? You hope some of that pops out at community group, but it should start right here.
I think confusion arises when it comes to obeying and doing the word versus just learning the word. I think a lot of confusion comes because we understand, especially in the Protestant tradition, we're here because of grace. And if you don't know what that is because you're new to church, I'm going to tell you quickly what grace means. When we're talking about grace, we always put it against good works. You have grace or good works. Which one's good? Grace is good. What are good works? They're bad. Now, we don't say that, but it's like we say that. Grace is good. Good works are bad. Good works are bad. Yeah, good works. Well, good works are, we don't know what good works are, but grace is good. Because we know we're not saved by our good works. The Bible says in Romans 4, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. That's a very upside down set of ideas. To the one who doesn't work, the one who doesn't try, but instead he believes in someone, in this case Jesus, who does not justify hardworking, good, and godly people, but he justifies ungodly, non-working people. And by works, we mean good deeds. His faith is counted as righteousness. We call this grace. If you're new to the church or new to Christ, this doesn't make sense. But to those of us who've had a steady diet of it, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Am I alone? Can I get a witness? It makes perfect sense. The Bible says again in Galatians, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Justified means turned into a righteous person before God. I'm filthy, God. I have sin. I need to get rid of my sin. One religion would say, or most religions would say, do this and wash it off. Go wash in the Ganges. Do a lot of good deeds. Wash off your sins. Christianity doesn't say that. It says, we know that a person is not justified by works, by doing those things of the law, but through faith in Christ. So I can have all my sins forgiven just by trusting in Jesus? Yes, because Jesus died on a cross as my substitute. I get for free what other people are trying to pay for. I get eternal life. I get forgiveness of sins. As crazy as that can sound to newcomers, that's what we call the gospel or the good news. And we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Nobody. There's not another road. You will come through Christ who died for you and you receive justification, salvation, however you want to call it, as a free gift or you don't come at all. No one will boast before God and say, well, I did a lot of good so you let me in. You sometimes hear it at funerals. Well, if anyone's in heaven, I'm sure she is. She did a lot of nice things. Wrong. She could be frying in hell right now, nice things and all. Because by works of the law, no granny is justified. Or is there anybody else? How are you justified? By the goodness of Jesus Christ. And we believe that we'll die for that. That's our faith. But that, I think that sometimes gets in our way. Well, if I'm saved by grace alone, <laughs> what am I supposed to do with myself? 
That's where the skeptic always says, well, well, I guess you can just go rob a bank because you're forgiven anyway. To tackle this question, let me put it, or this issue, let me put it in the form of a question. I'm going to ask my own question and answer it. It's the easiest way. I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to give you three answers to it. Here's the question. And uh, we're just digging down on this idea that, we, that we're supposed to, to be commanded to do things, according to verse 11. Okay, here's the question. What is the role of good deeds in the life of a Christian? So if you're using our creative map and you're taking notes, write that down. <laughs> what is the role of good deeds in the life of a Christian? I want to spend all the rest of our time answering that, giving you three answers. There could be more, but three, I think, jump right out of the scripture. What is the role of good deeds in the life of a Christian? Answer number one to what is the role of good deeds in the life of a Christian is salvation changes you from a sinner into a good deed machine. To become a Christian is to become a good deed machine. Right? Have any of you ever seen a meat grinder? That's probably not a good one. Because who sees meat grinders? Has anyone ever seen a, a microwave? Everyone. It does nothing but microwave things. It's a microwave machine. Have you ever seen a coffee maker? You know what it does? Makes coffee. It, it, you cannot make a roast in a coffee maker. But if you need coffee, it'll do it. When you become a Christian, you become a good deed machine. You're not supposed to do anything but good deeds for other people. To be a Christian, have you ever heard of the Christian life put that way? Say no, because we don't talk about it that way. Because we're so afraid that people will think it's works-based salvation. It isn't. It's what the Bible says. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, I was raised on, raised on, I became a Christian as an adult, so I was raised as an adult, young baby Christian, on preachers telling me at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. How many of you have heard that a thousand times, Right? So you know, I am not saved by good works. I've been saved by grace through faith and even the faith was given to me by God. I can't even boast for having faith. When I get to heaven, I will have nothing to boast about except Christ died for sinners. And I believe that. But you know, I, almost, I, I can't remember a time anyone preaching on 2, 8, and 9 added 10. I, rem- I remember 10 being preached separately. But if you read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, 10 is connected. Why were you saved by grace? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The whole reason you were saved by grace was to make, well not the whole reason, but a primary active reason is to make you into a good deed machine which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Everybody has a set. You could have Down syndrome. You could be old. You could be young. You could be male. You could be female. You can be fat. You can be skinny. You can be black. You can be white. You can have one eye. You can have no teeth. God has prepared for you good works. 
And when he saved you, he said, this is now what I made you to do. Go do them. A born-again person is someone who devotes himself completely to doing good deeds for other people. Now, I want you to think about yourself right now. Would that describe your life? How many people, they'd say, my Christian experience is not that. I do my life, and then the week gets heavy, and I think I start feeling guilty about existing, so I go to church so I can be reminded I'm forgiven, and I feel kind of good, and then I go live my life some more. That's not the Christian life. That's a derailed, wasted life. The Christian life is one where you come together on a Sunday or a Friday and you hear the word of God and you say, this is going to encourage me to do another good deed today, all day, every day, Monday through Saturday. All I'm going to do is good deeds. That's why I exist. To which someone could say, well, what about me? What about my dreams? What about my life? What about what I want? Okay, the Bible covers that. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You are now a possession of Jesus Christ. You're like, when I signed up for all that grace stuff and forgiveness, it didn't sound so all-encompassing. But it is. The Christian life is one where you do nothing but seek to serve other people constantly from morning till night. You say, well, I'm the boss at work. You do your duties as the boss with a heart to how can I benefit fit every one of these people who has to listen to me and how can I benefit every customer that walks in and not just for a profit margin, but because I'm a Christian. So my whole job here at work today is to do good deeds to all the homo sapiens I see. How many of you that would redefine your job if you thought that way? Can I tell you something? Why haven't you been thinking that way? The only acceptable answer is because the pastor hasn't made it clear enough, which is why I wanted to sit on this one verse a little longer. So hopefully it's clear. If you're a student, I'm here to learn. No, you're not. You will learn because that's the function at school, but you're here to serve the teacher. You're going to stop being such a jerk to the teacher if you're here to serve the teacher, aren't you? Even if the teacher's no good at teaching. I'm here to serve my fellow classmate. That's why God put me here. There's no other reason to exist. You know, I think we we think about getting saved as a destination. You ever have someone you love very much and you just want them to come to know the same Christ you know? I have many times. But then we start to think of getting saved, getting born again as a destination. It is not a destination. It's the beginning of a long process. Right? Think of it like the difference between going to the movies or skiing. Going to the movies, the goal is to get to the movie. When you get to the movie, what do you do? Nothing. You know, getting to the movie involves getting in the car, going to the place, getting out, buying the ticket, getting your popcorn, sitting down. Okay, now you have succeeded at going to the movie. Now what do you do? Nothing. You just sit there and go, wow, entertain me. Awesome. Great. And you chew your popcorn. That's it. And I think we look at that as the Christian life. I just want grandpa to be saved. He's saved now. What's he do? Who cares? He's saved. He received Christ. I just want my kids to be saved. They prayed to receive Christ. That's the whole destination. Well, then what? Who cares? They're saved. You're not looking at what the Bible does not describe that as the Christian life. 
It's more like skiing, which I did once because somebody told me he's going to teach me how. Skiing, you think, well, isn't that a destination? No, no. You, 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 you get your crud, you rent it because you don't own skis, and you finally get to the top of the mountain, and you're really scared of that thing that drops you off because some people fall down, and you fall down. And you're at the top of the mountain, and the skiing is not the destination. Now the process begins. Go down the hill. You start. Gravity is going to make you do the process. When you get to the bottom, what do you do? Go back up, do it again. Skiing is all day doing this thing. That's the Christian life. Getting saved is just like you just got off, you got your lift ticket, you got your skis on, you just got off on the top of the mountain. To be saved, now you begin your life of doing good deeds. By grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourself, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, lest any man should boast. But you are Christ's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand. Is that your Christian life? Really? Don't give me the right answer. Look in the mirror right now. Is that your Christian life? I exist to serve everybody and do as many good deeds as I can think of, small and great. I just snorted. (laughs) Never did that in, in... a sermon before. This could be a new thing for me. <laughs> How many of you heard this verse, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Let's say it like good reformed folks. Profitable, profitable for doctrine. Then I learned the doctrines of grace. Doctrine. And reproof for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? What's the rest of the verse say? That the man of God may be complete and equipped for what? Every good work. The reason you learn doctrine is so you'll do good work. Doctrine just means teaching. The reason you're corrected and reproved isn't so you'll behave so you can do good work. You can't sin and do good work at the same time. (laughs) So you are equipped. If you equip somebody, you're equipping them to get them started to do whatever you equipped them to do. You don't put someone in, in, in the pads and give them a stick and give them a helmet and the skates and say, okay, you're equipped. What for? I don't know. This is the way you're going to dress from now on. No, get in the hockey game. What does the word of God equip you for? I just love Bible study. I've known as a, as a pastor, sadly, I've known many people, not just a few, more than I like, that will always show up for a Bible study on the end times. They become experts on it. They love it. Teach me more, teach me more, teach me more. But their lifestyles are not Christian. They're just passive Christians with no victory in their life. Because they, 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 they're sitting on the education half. And not the good deed half. Ongoing instruction should be in your life. You always need to be learning the word of God. You're never going to get to the end of it in this life. But the reason is because it teaches you how to act. How to behave. Second answer. Doing good deeds is how you love God and your neighbor. 
Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Great. How do I do that? You know, when we think of love, we think of, you know, you press the button and little hearts fly out. We need those buttons. We need those buttons on our body. You know what I mean? You should be able to, if someone's talking to you in real life, right in front of you, you should be able to press a button on your body that makes hearts go up. And if you don't like what they're saying, you should be able to press a button that has angry emojis just flying out of your chest. Right? What a handy invention. Because we think of love as just this, that's not, love involves feelings, but that's not the love. That's not how you love God and your neighbor as yourself. How do you do it? You serve them constantly. That's how you do it. With pleasure. Without asking for anything in return. There's some people who serve and go, I've been slaving away all day for you. And this is the thanks I get. That's not love. That's an employee who thinks they earned something from you. Parents, here's a side note, a side sermon. I didn't see coming, but you're going to get it. When your kids get married and want to leave to go chase their dreams, shut your cake hole and bless them. Nothing is more detrimental to an adult life than a parent that goes, I raised you, I gave my all, now you're moving to... Colorado, what about me? Shut your cake hole. If you loved them, you didn't do it so they would pay you. Right? Just bless them. But the way you love people is you do good to them. Nowhere is this truth seen more clearly than when Jesus gave us the parable of the sheep and the goats. So I'm going to read it to you. Jesus said this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory... That's the end. And all the angels with him. Then will he sit on a glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations. And he'll separate one from another among the people of the nations. You here. You here. It's like a big kickball thing, right? You come up, you know, like all the Chinese come up. That'll take a long time. You here. You here. You here. You here. Chin? Well, there's a lot of chins. You here. This chin there. Right? And then he takes the Indonesians and the French. Most of the French go to the goat side. Maybe one goes to the sheep side. <laughs> but he separates the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And then he'll place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, that's where you want to be sitting, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison and you came to see me. Then the righteous will collectively apparently answer... Lord, when did we see you hungry? I don't remember you. There, <laughs> you know, I, I sent some money off to these food for the hungry people and fed those people and, and uh, you know, <laughs> I, I fed the neighbor kid because they weren't properly taken care of. But that's a long way from feeding you. <laughs> right? He says, when, when, did we, when did we do that? When do we see you thirsty and give you a drink? I lived my whole life. I never saw you once. 
fact, it would have come in handy if I could have seen you. I had some skeptic friends in college who kept saying, well, if Jesus is real, tell him to me. If you'd have showed up, I should have just grabbed one of these hungry dudes. Like, there he is. I don't think it would have been convincing. I don't think I'd say that to God then because pretty smart alecky. But you see their question, right? They're, 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 they don't figure this out. We're looking at the glowing savior of all the universe and he's saying we fed him. First, he doesn't look hungry. He doesn't look poor. He said, or when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. God loves humanity. By the way, another side note, all this abortion stuff, God loves humanity. Um, saw these two old people in Time Magazine, it was a big deal, because they were both really old, and she was going to die, and he was going to die, but one of them was going to die quicker, so wasn't it beautiful, the whole family gathered around, they both lay down and off themselves together, isn't that beautiful? No. No, it's not beautiful, it's disgusting, it's ugly, it's dark, it's satanic. It's the wolf is at the door and your soul has been eaten. It's mercy killing. Who says there's mercy for that guy the next moment? He loves humans. And apparently if you're good to another human, you get credit for being good to God. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you curse it into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus is always talking about hell. He just doesn't understand modern preaching. People don't like that fire and brimstone stuff, Jesus. Jesus is wild. You can't control this guy. He said, because I'm sending you to hell because I was hungry and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing. I was a stranger and you treated me like, like a dog. You ignored me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and you did not care. I was imprisoned and you did not visit me. And they'll say, Lord, when? We wouldn't have missed you. (laughs) When did we see you? And he'll answer them, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous to eternal life. What's the lesson of that? Is it that if you do good deeds, you go to heaven? No. Because the Bible's consistent. This same Jesus said, you're not condemned if you believe. You're only saved by faith. So what does it mean? (laughs) Well, One thing it means is the simplest way to love God is to serve a neighbor. And a neighbor is anyone with, puts breath on glass. (laughs) Anyone with a heartbeat counts. The simplest way to love God is to serve another human. Do you live to serve other humans or do you live for the next comfortable moment you're building for yourself? Don't give me the right answer. Give me the true answer. Don't give it to me. Think about it for yourself. Would someone, if you died right now, say, of course they're gonna say nice crap, but in their heads, they only say nice crap when you're dead. Even you could be a jerk. I've been to a lot of funerals. Nobody says, ah, oh, he sucked. <laughs> they can't be all that nice. I've seen Facebook. 
in their head will people say, dang, I wish this person wasn't gone. They're always so kind to me. You say, well, isn't that being saved by good deeds? This is where we trip. No. No one is saved because he does good deeds. But the one who is saved does good deeds. Do you see the difference? This is why in last week's sermon, Fred read to you from James. He says, the one who says he has faith but has no works, his faith is dead. It won't save him because faith without works is dead. You're still saved by faith. The one who is saved does good deeds. Third, good works are our beauty. They're our beauty. Trust me, this is not beautiful. To my wife, she always says nice things. But it's kind of pudgy and getting older. If I said, here's why you should be the Christian, be a Christian, because you're as beautiful as me. Trust me, this is not a selling point. I mean, there could be some really ugly people to whom it would be, I guess, you know. It's like, for you, okay, it's an up. It's stepping up. Everybody's uglier than somebody and everyone's better looking than somebody. So, but I guarantee you, you've all known someone who's beautiful on the outside who gets uglier the more you get to know him or her and someone who you thought was the plainest thing you ever saw until as the years go by, you see that person has the biggest heart of anyone you've ever met and you can't think of a more lovely person I want to make a distinction here because Satan gets in here and I've heard people say it. What I'm not saying is your beauty comes from living a moral life before unbelievers. Because I've heard people say, if I just live a holy life before unbelievers, they will see my moral life and they will say, wow, he's different. I want to be like him. That's crap. Why? Because you cannot be as moral as a Mormon. That's it. That's the answer. Mormons would beat us. I've heard you when you're not around. You cuss more than Mormons cuss. Your teeth aren't as nice as Mormons' teeth. You get the point? If if Mormons don't work for you, somebody's grandma is a lot nicer and more moral than you are. Do you know what people think if you try to live like that? They hate you. Because you're, what you're saying to them, oh, I, would, I used to have drinks after work, but now I don't drink because it's sinful. And I don't smoke because it's sinful. And, oh, gentlemen, stop that rough humor. It does not glorify the Lord. You know what people think of that guy? They hate that guy. Because he's a Pharisee. Because he is trying to be righteous by being good. That's not what I'm saying. You should try to do right. But doing right is not the same as doing good. The person who consistently serves others is the one that everyone at the job or in the family respects the most. That you can do at work. I may not be the prettiest or the smartest person here, but I can serve every one of these people. That might get you attention. Dude, why are you so kind to everybody? Then you might get that question. You could say, because Jesus was kind to me. That question will happen. 
This is supposed to be the beauty of the Christian. Let me throw, just pile a bunch of verses on real quick here. We're near the end. This is the third answer. In the same way, Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. How are people supposed to see your Christian life and glorify God? Not by your cool Christian music. Not by your cool Christian car bumper sticker. Not by, because you're the most moral guy in the place. They're like, you don't seem to live for you. You, get, you seem to get a lot of joy opening the door for everybody. You always seem to get a lot of joy letting someone else go first. I, I once got stuck in a pharmacy drive-thru. It's always fun to get stuck in the pharmacy drive-thru. My battery died. Sick people behind you are really patient. You know, what do you get? It reminds me of that, that Geico commercial where Washington is crossing the Delaware. I love that. That's my favorite commercial. Who can't identify with that? He's like, We all have places to be. We all have places to be. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. But imagine you're stuck in the drive thru. There's people who want their pills. They're getting out. They're banging on the windows. Like, this guy won't move. I need my pills. You know, they drive by and give you looks. Pharmacists came out. Pulls car up, jumped me. Nice guy in the world. I, I will never forget that guy serving me with love and kindness. Do that all the time. You'll see. People start to glorify your father because they're going to know you're a Christian. They're going to know why you do it because you're going to tell them. First Timothy 2, 9 and 10. Likewise, also, this is about women and how they should dress. It's not fashion advice. Don't worry. Paul is not stupid. He knows men shouldn't give fashion advice. Except certain gay men. They seem to get it. But most of us men don't know fashion. Not all gay men do either, but some seem to. I'm not kidding. I went and got a suit and this gay guy, he, I look sharp. I don't know. But... <laughs> There's no social commentary on that. You're waiting. Is he allowed to say gay in front of us? I said it. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for a woman who professes godliness. What? With good works. Paul says, I want, dress however you got to dress, but don't think you're going to show off by your bling. Show off by your good works. That's what makes a godly woman pretty. John 13, 35, by this all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's not the hearts coming out. It's the love. Revelation 19, 6 to 8, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready and it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright linen, bright and pure. I can see her. She is beautiful. I've done so many weddings. Brides always look beautiful. They just do. I've never seen an ugly bride. Day before, day after, maybe. But that day, they look great. I'm not kidding. There's some magic in the water or something. They are. They are. I've never seen a bride. Didn't look beautiful. 
And then it says her clothing is the righteous deeds of the saints. Our beauty is the way you serve others constantly. It's not like good boy merit badge, right? Where the, the, the help an old lady across the street, do three good deeds and go tell your cub master and, and you get a merit badge. No, no, no. This is, I don't do anything else. What do you do for a living? Good deeds. What are you going to do? I'm going to have to be creative today. I'm going to have to be on the lookout for them. Some of them you can plan. Most of them are going to be spontaneous. Do you know when your first opportunity to do a good deed is going to be? Right now, there's humans all around. As soon as we break, (laughs) there's humans all around. You think, well, I'm just going to go to my car and go home. Well, on the way, you're passing humans. You might have opportunities. Is this a special thing I do sometime? A little pay it forward stuff? No, none of that crap. This is the only thing you're ever supposed to do with your life. That's it. This is the Christian life. So you don't get confused. Look at it this way. Don't put any effort into being good. I never try to be a good Christian. I'm not saying I don't try to behave correctly. I do. I don't, you know, if you, if you, if you lie and cheat and hate and do sexual sins and self-indulgent sins, you are not loving God and you're not loving others. So I, I try to live right, but I never try to be good. I never try to be good. Never try to be good. And I want you to never try to be good, right? Because then where's your focus on? Oh, how moral am I? Little Jack Horner sat in the corner eating his Christmas pie or something, stuck in his thumb, pulled out a plum, said, what a good boy am I? For why, why are you in the corner? <laughs> I don't think that. He's an idiot. Jack Horner's an idiot, okay? He's like a dunce. But <laughs> if, if all you're trying to do is, trust me, whole churches can get into all being good. I'd rather be, I'd rather be in the messiest, dirtiest, yuckiest church than a church where everyone's being good because they're cops. They all turn into cops and you're not good enough. And if you're trying to be good, You're going to judge yourself at the end of the day how good you were. Stop all that crud. Don't try to be good. Put all your effort into doing good. See, aren't they the same? Not at all. If you do good because it makes you good, bad. Why do good? Why do bad? Okay, you got me there. What else am I going to do? (laughs) Why do good deeds? Why not do good deeds? Okay, you got me. Because you're a Christian. Jesus lives in you. You've been born again. Your old nature has been crucified on a cross. You have the Holy Spirit of God in you and he always wants love for other people. That's why you do it. You're children of the living God. Walk in love. Be imitators of me. And I'm commanding you. Not based on me, but based on the word of God. Examine your life now. And make up your mind that from now on, you have no other goal except to do good deeds all day long, every day, no matter what. Everything will fit in that category. Because you're a Christian. And Jesus said, Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, 
Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.